Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist Church. I'm glad you could be with me this morning. We are beginning our study in the book of Ecclesiastes today, and I'm excited to go through this little book um, with you and see some of the things that are in there. It's really, there's really a lot of information, and we won't cover it all, I'm sure, but as you read through, um, you'll notice other things that we may not have even talked about. So, <clears throat> the name Ecclesiastes refers to an assembly of people, and then um, there's an additional um, suffix or prefix to the word in the original language, <clears throat> which means an agent of the assembly of the people. And so, when um, this information was shared, it could have been to an assembly of people as Solomon um, preached or shared with the people the things that he had thought about. And so we'll, we'll kind of take it and keep that in mind as we go through. And... You know, it is attributed to have been written by Solomon, though he doesn't name himself. Um, but some of the things that he mentions in the book lead you to believe that it was King Solomon who wrote these things. Um, and so, you know, Solomon was, when he became king, there is a record in both Kings and Chronicles of how um, God asks Solomon in this I'm going to read a little one verse in first Kings chapter 3 verse 12 through that section there um, you could you could start a little earlier than that and read but I'm going to just read verse 12 where God had asked Solomon what, um, or Solomon had asked God to help him and to be able to judge the people correctly. And he didn't ask for wealth or anything else. You know, he asked for that, to be able to judge and be a good king. And so God was pleased with that answer. And in verse 12, he says, behold, I have done according to your words behold i have given you a wise and a discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you nor shall anyone like you arise after you and then god goes on to tell him that not only uh, has he given him a wise and discerning heart but he also is adding the riches and things that solomon could have asked for but he didn't and so um you know, people say then that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, and that is based on that verse there where God said there's never been one like you and there won't be one again, you know. So so Solomon was blessed with this amount of wisdom and knowledge and intelligence, I guess you might say. And so based on that then, um, we see... Uh, the re one of the results of it is this book of Ecclesiastes and there are others, there's the Proverbs and others and so at the beginning of, of 
chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, uh, it says the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So that kind of limits it to King Solomon. He was the son of David who became the king. Um, and this first 11 verses is kind of a, it's almost a poetic form in a way, but he is talking about the circular um, way that life happens. He's been studying the world and everything in it. And so he begins by saying, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And that word vanity, the meaning of it is something like um, a vapor or, you know, a very temporary fleeting thing or, um, you know, let's see, the, the word futile uh, is also attributed to that sort of meaning. And so he's saying that life is very um, meaningless in some ways to him, you know, from what he's observed. Um, and then he goes on to talk about it. And he says, you know, a generation comes and a generation goes and the wind blows and it goes away and it comes back and the sun rises and then it goes and it rises again. You know, he's taught all of the things he mentions in this very first part are kind of a circular thought, uh, thought pattern. And he says there, you know, there's no remembrance of the earlier things and then later things that are going to occur will not be remembered either. And it's almost depressing in a way to hear uh, someone, you know, talk like that. Um, but, you know, he had studied all of the things that he could think to study in the world. And now he's going to draw conclusions. And so our lesson starts then in verse uh, 12 to 15 of chapter 1. So let's read those first three verses, three or four verses. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So he starts off by saying, you know, that he has, his purpose was to observe everything that has gone on under the sun or on the earth, um, all the different things. And he's going to go on then to name some of those things. And he says it is a grievous task. The grievous task I'm not quite positive if he means it was a grievous task to study all of these things or if it is a grievous task that man has to do all of the things that he has observed. But at any rate, he says it is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. So <clears throat> it makes me think that he's more referring to um, the grievousness of life as it can be sometimes. And striving, he talks about striving after the wind. In other words, you're trying, and you get that feeling sometimes, don't you, 
when you try, it seems like you try so hard and still you've got to struggle, you know, on and on. Life is a struggle at times. You get the uh, roof fixed and then the plumbing goes out, you know, whatever. There's always a striving associated with life. And so let's go on then to the next verses. We'll read um, verses 18 to 21. So he skips 16 and 17. Um, but I, I'm going to go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, he skips over to the next chapter. I've, I've forgotten about that part. I want to go ahead, though, and look at verses 16 and through 18. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So again, he's talking about how if you have this increased knowledge, you know more about things, it just increases your pain more. And that's kind of one of the conclusions that he's come to. Um, he also says that, you know, he set his mind to know wisdom, madness, and folly. So he studied the activities of man, some who were madmen or crazy, folly, you know, making wrong choices, and then those who acted wisely. And he studied all of these things. And so um, then we he goes over to chapter 2, or the verse, the um, lesson goes over to chapter 2. Now, at the beginning of chapter 2, our, our book does not cover that. So verses 1 to 17, he's talking about the things it's related back to what he just said. He He's done all of these things, and he kind of gives a list there. I've planted gardens. You know, I studied. I, I bought slaves. I had concubines. I planted fruit trees. You know, he names all these different things that he has done in his life. He decided to seek after pleasure and see what that was like. He sought after... Um, folly to see what that was like and then he gets down to verse 12 and says um, he has discovered that wisdom excels folly and light excels darkness so you know those are not the same he's not equating those to say it doesn't matter if you're wise or if you're foolish those are all the same he doesn't really say that, but he does go on in chap in um, verse 15 then, I'm in chapter 2 now, in 15 um, and right through that section to say, even though I'm extremely wise, the fate of a foolish man is going to be my fate in the end as well. So in other words, we're all going to die equally, and whether you're wise as can be, or whether you're very foolish, death will come to every man. And that is true. That is true. 
And so then in verses 18 to 21, um, he talks about work. And let's read that. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun. For I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Therefore I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. When there is a man who has labored with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, then he gives his legacy to one who has not labored with them. This too is vanity and a great evil. And, you know, we see that even today, don't we? Where a person, maybe a business owner, they start a business and they work so hard their whole life to build up their business. And then it becomes inherited by one of the children or some of the children. And they don't care anything about it. They did not work for it. And pretty soon they drive it into the dirt. And, you know, we do see that in life even today. And so he's also made that observation that it seems like, you know, working and, and doing all of those things and working so hard, um, he's putting that in the category of being pointless because you're just going to give it over to someone who doesn't appreciate it or who didn't work for it and is going to waste it. You know, again, this sounds sort of negative, doesn't it? It's a it's kind of depressing to think about it in that way. You know, we want to leave something for our children. We try to, or at least not leave them with our debts, you know, not leave any debts for them. Um, and so to, you know, to see someone putting it into words like this, um, it, it sounds a little bit depressing. We are identified by our work. You know, a lot of times, especially men, I think, they get their identity by what they do. But, it, you know, even women nowadays, uh, people will often ask you, uh, what do you do or what did you do before you retired? And, you know, you are identified as you were a teacher, you were a secretary, you were a doctor or whatever, even if you're retired. And so we do get an identity from our work. And when he's talking uh, previously about possessions, some people get their identity from the possessions that they possess. Um, and so in all of those things, you know, if we really think about it, the work that we do and the possessions that we have, uh, those are really not our character. They can be a reflection of our character. But they are not our identity. Our identity is, is more than that. It, we are, we're identified by God, you know, as one of his children. And so he comes down now to verses 22 and 23. We're still talking about work or labor. For what does a man get in all his labor and in his striving with which he labors under the sun? Because all his days... His task is painful and grievous. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is vanity. So he's got a good description there of, 
uh, someone who's just working so hard, striving so hard to make a living, to live in the world, and, um, you know, to make it. And then in verses 24 to 26, so to the end of the chapter, this is where uh, our lesson ends today. He says, uh, starting in verse 24, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? For to a person who is good in his sight, he has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, while to the sinner he has given the task of gathering and collecting, so that he may give to one who is good in God's sight. This too is vanity and striving after wind. So he does make an observation here that, uh, let's see, that was in verse 25. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him, without God? So in other words, can you really enjoy the fruits of your labor? If God is not a part of your life, uh, can you um, can you have the things that you want and enjoy them if God is not a part of your life? And so that is an observation that he's made, that God has to be a part of it somehow. And he says that, um, you know, if a person eats and drinks and tells himself that his labor is good, this is from the hand of God that you're able to do that, to do that simple thing, to eat and drink and then to sit back and say, you know, I've worked hard and now I'm resting. Then um, that is from God and because God is a part of our lives that we're able to rest in that and be able to do that. And he says the sinner God gives them the task of working and gathering and getting all these things so they can give it to someone who's pleasing to God. So that's, um, you know, he, he feels like that's the purpose for someone who doesn't have God in their life is that they're working so that they can give it to another who uh, God has looked favorably on. So that's kind of the end of our lesson today. And it, so, it, you know, it, if you look at it just on face value, it seems a little depressing. But we have to remember, Solomon did not have the perspective that we have. Because Solomon did not have, uh, did not know Jesus. You know, he did not have the Holy Spirit uh, to guide him in the way that we do. And he was only looking at the world in how he could observe it physically and you know with eyes and ears and how he could observe it and that, that's really the only the only way that he could and so I looked uh, there is a verse here that is referred to in our lesson in 1 Corinthians 10 31 which says whether you eat or drink <clears throat> or whatever you do do everything for the glory of God and you know uh, with our perspective on the world and the way that we see our jobs, I think this is a good way to do it, is whatever we do, we try to glorify God in the thing that we do. 
you know, we can't all be pastors um, or, or another, you know, minister in the church. We can't all be missionaries. But we can all glorify God in the way that we live and the choices that we make. And we, we can try our best to leave some kind of a legacy. Now, Solomon has said there's no legacy to it. Everybody's going to forget everything <clears throat> as soon as the person passes on. <clears throat> I apologize for my froggy voice. I, I have a house listed that I think probably has some mold in it. And I was just over there before I came here. I, I think I'm going to have to start wearing a, a suit or something when I go in there. Anyway, um, talking about the legacy that we leave behind and the things that we can do, you know, it put me in mind, of, and this story came to my mind this week, um, and it really is, is food for thought, I guess, because when Clint was a baby, he was, he became uh, very sick with pneumonia. He was a tiny baby, and he got pneumonia. It was in the wintertime, and back then, you know, they used uh, fireplaces and gas heat and all that, and I don't know if that's what brought on the pneumonia or what, but anyway, he did end up having pneumonia. And he, his mother or his parents had gone to, up to Baxley to their home, uh, the family home there where, his mother was the oldest, and so she went home to Mama, you know, with the baby because he was the first baby, and to try to see what they could do, you know, to get him better. And he got so bad, they called the doctor, and the doctor came to the house, and the doctor saw what bad condition that he was in and said, now you all go and get some sleep, and I'll sit up with the baby. And... um. So the doctor sat up all night with uh, Clint when he was a baby and watched over him. And, uh, you know, the, the family story is that they felt that he might not make it through the night. It's why the doctor stayed like that. And so I don't know if I can say all this without crying now. What am I going to do? Um, you know, I got to thinking about that, though, and I thought, you know, did the doctor, as he looked at this little small baby, I'm sure he may have been a Christian doctor who prayed for him, but did he realize that the work that he was doing to save this baby would contribute to many churches being planted in Africa one day, or many missionaries being trained on how to plant many other churches, you know. Did he realize at the time? Probably not, you know. They were on a farm. They were a farming family, and he may have just thought, well, this person, if he makes it, he'll grow up to be a farmer too, you know. So that's why I say the small thing that we do in our work or in our life to encourage another person in whatever way that we can, we really don't know the end result of that action. We There'll be things when we get to heaven that we'll look back and 
you know, we'll be told because you did this, this happened. You know, those things may be explained uh, later when we get to heaven. And we just don't know. And, you know, I think of all the things I could have done that I haven't done. And, you know, I start to beat myself up. But we should all remember, and I think that's the lesson for the week, to, for every little small thing that we do, we do that to the glory of God. And we don't know what God will do with it and what God has planned. But it's, a, it's an encouragement to think of it in that way. So thank you for being with me. I promise not to be a basket case next time around. And um, I appreciate you watching week after week. And, and I'll see you next time.